Here this morning, uh, we're taking on a new mini-series that we'll go through uh, till probably the first week or second week of October. And I've entitled this series, Gospel-Driven Perspectives on... Okay, I know, I'm stepping in really deep. And... Uh, but that's okay. I'm not going to tell you how to vote. But you know what? We are, we've, we've entered into a jungle of... Uh, and you, you know it. You, if you've been around for a long time, you, you know. We've entered into the jungle of uh, every other commercial or what you see in the uh, billboards or magazines or newspapers or the Internet. It's everywhere. It's all over the place. You can't miss it. And in my understanding, this is a, uh, something that we are wise to look into. We would be wise to look into it and consider uh, how we're supposed to be approaching it. If you're saying you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then it's all the more important. Everyone here, um, as I understand it, I, I would figure everyone here is a citizen of this great land. And it might be that you're not a citizen and you're trying to get citizenship here. Great. But we figure everyone here is a citizen. And as a citizen, you're responsible to do your part, right? And so we realize that really for the next 50 to 60 days, it's going to be all over the place, popping up, you know, everywhere that you ought to vote for this, or you ought to vote for that, or this person or that person. So, um, welcome to the jungle. And uh, as we, I just want to give you an introduction here. We're not going to start with a particular passage. We're going to look at a number of passages today. But to just get started, if uh, you and I need to understand, we live in a land of isms. We live in a land of isms. We're a very diverse country, and that's beautiful. But we've got all sorts of isms out there that are dangling out there, waiting, for you, waiting to latch on to you. For instance, I mean, you'd say, well, America has been uh, accused of being a materialistic country. Uh, materialism, consumerism. Those are true of America. Um, moralism. Uh, many of us latch on to that thinking, well, that's, that's really the answer, moralism. Um, and now in the news, more and more, you hear more about, well, socialism. And, uh, oh, I know, I struck a chord there. Um, but all sorts of isms pop up. And now more and more, a part of this is atheism. And we'll see it more and more, we'll hear of it more and more is a part of the mix. Really, the best ism to use to describe it all is pluralism. Because that's what America is about. We want to let this guy have his say or this woman have her say. And, and then, you know, it's all sorts of things. And everything's okay. That's the idea behind the title pluralism. It's all okay. And really, that's what we have to watch out for. Now, listen to this. 
it logically follows when our country, however you view our country's history, let's just put it this way, our country built on the Judeo-Christian ethics. Okay? Safe way to put it. Everyone kind of agrees with that and figures that's okay. But once our country removes God out of the discourse, that's the way I want to say it. Because I don't know as if we can legitimately say we are a Christian country because of the the fact that what we ought to be understanding from the Bible about what a Christian means. If you are going by what the Bible says, here's what a Christian is and what a Christian is about, then can we really say we're a Christian country? Well, some of us want that. Some of us really want to say we're a Christian country. And now, um, and it's not just what happened here last week in North Carolina or other things. Um, It's been coming for a long time, this issue of atheism and the issue of just removing God out of the language. That's been happening a long time. It's nothing new. But it's going to be coming more and more and more. And it's, you know, I guess one of the things we f- figure is, well, hey, we, we need Christians in office. You know, that, that's a nice thought. That's good. But that's not necessarily going to happen all the time. That's not necessarily the way it's going to be. And it comes back to the people. It comes back to you and I or any other Christian, Bible-believing, Christ-honoring person in this country, wherever they are in this country. But the issue of removing God out of the discourse of our country is going to, you know, rise more and more and more. And we just figure, well, we just, you know, people are trying to get God out of our education. I, I remember, you know, as a little boy growing up in the school systems in Minnesota, you know, when it was like, okay, now this is not going to happen now. We'll still say the Pledge of Allegiance, but, you know, there's no more prayer going on. And that's not going to happen. Um, but it's something that we, what we'd like to see is just, well, here's, here's our leader and our leader's going to be uh, Christian in their, in their thinking and all this. Well, not sure how many more true Bible-believing Christians we're going to see in office as the years move on. That doesn't mean that God has um, lost any power or lost any sovereignty or lost any control. God's still in control no matter what. And we see that in the Bible. That's why we need to evaluate the things of Scripture when we talk about a subject as difficult and sticky as politics. We need to look in the Word of God. So, it's all sorts of ideas that are out there. And young people are, you know, very prey to it all. And we want to help our young people learn and grow in the things and be wise in their understanding of what's happening in this world. So that term pluralism is 
is an important one to file away and, and, and be alert to. Back in the day, in the 70s and the 80s, the, the key word was humanism. Humanism was used. That was a, that was a big term. Um, Tim LaHaye wrote a book called The Battle for the Mind. And that was back a long time ago, 70s, 80s. I, I don't know when exactly. I think it was in the 70s. But a big thing of that was the whole thing of, about humanism. And the one simple task, the one simple project for the humanist camp. By the way, humanist idea is that man is the center of things and the answer to things. Very simple. That's, that's the idea of a humanist. Okay? But the one simple task of the humanist camp back then was just elevate and highlight what? Evolution. If you can highlight and elevate evolution, that'll put a crack in the door. Okay? And at the same time, bombard creationism. Okay? And maybe some of you remember a little uh, diagram that was uh, drawn up by Creation Research Society, and it was just a, a caricature of two castles. And the one was humanism, and the other was creationism. And the humanists were shooting their cannons at the base of Bible-centered Christianity. What was the base? Here's creationism. And the Christians were shooting at the issues of the castle called humanism. They're just shooting at the issues. You follow that, that picture? The issue that the humanists were doing, they're going after the base, the foundation, creation. If you can put a crack in that, we got our opening. And you say, why are we going this route? Because from this opens everything else, basically. Because we're talking about foundational stuff. We're talking about questions that need answers. And humanism takes the questions and puts the answers and the solutions with man. Man's got the, man's got the, not, the moxie and man's got the stuff to bring forth the answers. Okay? So, that's kind of where we're, we're heading. In the past 30 or 40 years or so, God has raised up support for the church. The church needs to be the clarion voice of, of, of the answer. The church must shout it out. The church must say the answer is in God who gave Jesus as the answer. The gospel. But in the last 30 years or so, God has raised up some very interesting support ministries for the church to concentrate on things like creationism, things, uh, uh, groups like Creation Research Society, uh, Institute for Creation Research down in San Diego, um, Ken Ham, his Answers in Genesis ministry, and all sorts of books that come flowing through the, these. Um, if you have not yet come across these materials, you need, you need to get a hold of these. You need to look it up on the Internet. You need to get these books and... Uh, 
you know, we've had creation speakers in the past here at, at Parkside Bible Fellowship. And, you know, we'll look to have more in the future. But this is a critical issue for us in understanding this surveying project that we have before us. We want to survey this issue of politics. And so, in doing this, we want to look at our first point, the panorama of the gospel. The panorama of the gospel. And here, what we want to do is just take in the the full, as, as much as we can, about what really matters. And yes, it's about the gospel. When it comes to politics, it's about the gospel. You might be sitting there thinking, oh, how's he going to string this one together? Okay? Well, that's part of what we're going to look at here today. So we want to take in the panorama of the gospel. And here, when we reference these, you see these two passages, Genesis 1 through 3, chapters 1 through 3, and letter B, John 1, 1 through 14. What we have here is the story of God. Yeah? High school, junior high, yeah? The story of God, yeah? Okay. Were they paying attention today in in Sunday school? Yeah. Okay. So all we need to do here with these two passages, we're not going to go verse by verse through this, we just want to remember that the, the first announcement for the gospel is in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Actually, specifically, Genesis 3, verse 15. There's the first announcement of the gospel. And it's tucked in to these other issues that we want to consider. The creation, the fall... And, and restoration. Just those three right now. Creation and fall and restoration. That's what we see in Genesis, especially here, Genesis 1 and 2. Here's the creation. And then here's Genesis 3. Here's the fall. And right there in the midst of the, the curse that God gives, here's the, the restoration that's promised. Okay? Now, go down to point number or letter C under number one. The, so the gospel best answers man's questions in this way. And by the way, John, the reason I have John 1, 1 through 14 there is that's the mirror image in the New Testament of what we see here with Genesis 1, 2, and 3. John chapter 1 starts out, in the beginning was the word, right? And we have creation, fall, he came unto his own and his own what? Did not receive him. John 1, 9 and 10. And then here's restoration. But in verse 12, but as many as what? Received him. To them gave he the power, the authority to become children of God. There's restoration. So the reason why we bring this up is this. We want to have a good perspective, not a narrow perspective, but a, a good wide panorama of the gospel that it's not just a, a little section of your life, it's for everything in life. And that's what we're driving at because of here's the issue with politics. Now, again, we're, we're not driving in specifically at political issues right now, but if you look at letter C and these questions, everything 
springs forth from it. Everything. Question number one. Who we are. That's what the story of God answers. Who we are. What is that? What big deal is that? I see men. I see women. I see little children. What's the big deal? Why do we need to answer that simple question? It's a simple question. Men and women. What are some of the issues in life that we're struggling with, that our society is struggling with? The distinctions, men and women. God made them. Male and female, he created them. And then what does he say? Go and fill the earth, multiply. Right? So our identity is a critical issue. And both of these passages, Genesis 1 through 3 and John chapter 1, 1 through 14, deal with as they refer to God as the creator. He's the creator. He's eternal. He's overall. He's mighty. He's powerful. He's personal. All these things pop up in these passages. And God, he, he said he wanted mankind to rule over creation. He created them male and female. He created them to be fruitful, to multiply and fill the earth. Then, second question. What's our problem? Well, along with that, we say, well, why all the suffering? Why all the continuing evil? Why? Because that is another issue that comes forth in thinking about existence and life. And how come? Why? Well, and many would say... And I've heard them say it over the years. Well, it's because of Hollywood's influence. Those evil movies. You're not supposed to watch those evil movies. They're bad influence on you. Or it's someone who would say, well, it's political corruption. All the political corruption. You know, the, the, the saying that, you know, when a politician opens his mouth, all he's doing is... I don't know, I blew the joke there, I guess, so never mind. <laughs> okay. But, you know, and then, and then people say, oh, it's because of pornography and drugs and alcohol. That's why we got the problem. And people want to assign blame in certain ways. But they don't go back. Listen, they don't go back to the, what the Bible says. And the Bible says it's because of the fall. Eve was what? Eve was deceived. Adam what? Sinned. Adam rebelled. God told him specifically, don't eat of that fruit. Eve was deceived. Adam fell. You and I are in sin. Everyone else is in sin because of that fall from grace. That fall from God. That rebellion. Okay? So, it's due to the fall. And the consequences of it all? What are the consequences? Uh, stuff that happens. All sorts of stuff. An accident in the family. Uh, you know, sickness, a disease, uh, and on and on and on. It's all because of the fall. I don't like this. This is what we all have a real bad time with. We get agitated. We get bothered with it. Why? It's not because necessarily the, the doctor did this or, or this person did this. It, it really, it goes back to the fall. 
people that are put in a in a tight situation where someone has done something to another person if you're a believer you need to still go back and forgive them you need to go and forgive them that's what jesus would have us do that's in in some cases that's very difficult almost too too much to even think about i can't forgive them i can't forgive them but see that's what we're called to do and it's still these all the things of life it comes from the fall well then the third question any remedies offered what hope do we have what real hope do we have well the hope was revealed back in genesis 3:15 the first announcement of the gospel and it was right in the middle of where god's laying out a curse because of their sin And there it was stated that the seed of the woman, boom, there it is. Lights are on, flashing, there it is. The gospel, the seed of the woman, the righteous seed, will what? Bruise the head of the serpent. Put a fatal blow on his head. Now, stay with me. This is not just a spiritual, cute story. This is about life. This is about what we're dealing with. And Jesus came. The Messiah came. And he crushed the head of the serpent. And the serpent goes after the heel, basically, of of the seed of the woman. And does damage there. Not fatal. Jesus has the victory in his death over sin, Satan, and on. Okay? So, right now... It comes down to this. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you trusted in Him to be the answer, the solution, the answer that God has provided? Have you put your faith in Christ? And that's what, that's what we're here for. That's what life is about. That you wouldn't go after the humanistic kind of answer and say, well, I've got to figure it out. I'm going to do this. No, you come to this type of issue when we're talking eternity. You need God. You need Jesus Christ. You need to put your faith in Him. And until you do, you're lost. You're, you're lost. You need, you need a Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay? So, that's what we need to do is look over the panorama of the gospel. Secondly, on the back of your outline, is in understanding the, the big picture or the panorama of the gospel, we need to come to the purpose of the gospel. Very quickly, letter A, to, it's to glorify God. In Ephesians 1, 3 through 10, you'll see it. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Then it goes on to say, to the praise of His glory. To the praise of His glory. So, the purpose of the gospel is to glorify God. Not you. Not me. Not us. But to glorify God first and foremost. Then, letter B we would say, well, the purpose of the gospel, it would be then regarding believers is to save and transform believers. 
and the reference there, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Not a matter of just transporting you off to the heavenly clouds of comfort where you can just say, oh, praise the Lord, everything's just wonderful and smooth and beautiful. No! It's to use trials to build you up and to cause endurance to be in your life and perseverance to say, I'm going to walk in faith no matter what happens. I'm going to praise God no matter what happens. What's the purpose of the gospel? Letter A, to glorify God. Letter B, to transform believers. There's this quote that I have here from um, an author and pastor by the name of Matt Chandler where he says in his book, it's not merely a personal remedy, but it's a cosmic one. What is he getting at there? All too often in America, we hear of people saying, you hear people talk about being Christian, and it's like, it's all about them. It's a personal relationship. And we say that. I say that. It it is. It's, It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But all too much the emphasis starts building more and more, you know, and something goes wrong and we say, well, why would God ever do that to me? Because isn't he supposed to, you know, keep me flying along smoothly? No. See, it's about glorifying him. You, you, you mark that reference, Ephesians 1, and you read through that. You, you read through John 17, his high priestly prayer. You read that and look at it. It's about glorifying God. That's why he saved us, to glorify God. Okay, so, and according, as we wrap number two up, according to Romans 12, 1 and 2, what's supposed to be transformed in the believer? The believer's mind. The believer's mind. Stay with me. If you're not, if your mind is not being renewed, something's wrong. Your mind needs to be renewed in the Word of God. Why? Because there's this jungle that we're living in. We're living in a jungle, so to speak, and we got all these issues, all these winds of doctrine coming, all these things that come across our our awareness. And some of them sound really good. We just got to watch this. And your mind is to be renewed according to Romans 12 where you think. He's not saying he's going to renew your feelings. He's wanting to renew your mind. So, thus when Peter says that you grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ... What do you think we're supposed to go with? The Word of God. We're supposed to go with learning the Word of God more so it can be translated into flesh in my body, in my life, as I walk, as I deal with things, as you deal with things. Okay, so that's the purpose of the gospel, number two. Number three is the power of the gospel. Is The key is regeneration. The power of the gospel is nothing until you have new life. If you are not regenerated, if you're not born again, you're just a head case. You you just have 
head knowledge and great, but it doesn't save you. You need to be born again. John chapter 3, Titus chapter 3, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. What is that saying to you? He hasn't saved us because of all, uh, oh, look at all of our righteous deeds. No, he's not saved us, in that, but it's according to his, what? His mercy. His mercy. And it's by the washing of regeneration by the Holy Spirit. There's new life. Regenerate. New life. Okay? You, you got to have new life in Christ. So, believers are made alive by the Spirit. You're born of God. Born of the Spirit. And you're made alive and made aware of new, listen, new truths. I call them facts. Let's do a fact check. Let's do a fact check. You like that term nowadays? Fact check. I've got to say that more clearly. Fact check. Sounds like something else, I think. So, fact check. You know, that's what all the news media people are doing. You and I better be doing it, brother, sister. Right here, in the Word of God. Here's the truth of God. Jesus claimed it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Okay. So, the key is regeneration. You must be born again. The results, a practical sanctification. Because of our position in Christ, we are His handiwork. We've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. So, it's not to do the good works to gain salvation. We're all, if we're believers in Christ, we're already saved. But you're made in His image to now do good works for His glory. We're like clay in the potter's hand. He will do His work and form what? One thing. Christ-likeness in you. Okay? Look at Philippians 1. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Okay? Philippians 1, verse 6. What does it say? I am confident of this very thing, that He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. If you're a believer, if you're a child of God, He will continue His work. You and I need to keep responding in faith to what He's doing, believing He he will do His work. Okay? Now, look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, where it says, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. And my friend, maybe this is why you need to remember, here's, again, this issue of some of the tough stuff in life. Don't escape it. Don't run away from it. Endure it, because God's a sovereign God. He's a father. He's a good father. And he wants to develop Christ-likeness in you. And the more you and I run and escape, the more we avoid, here's the very work that he wants to accomplish in you. What it results in then is a practical sanctification and then a working world view. I'm coming out of the right field corner with this one probably. But see, here's what I get, here's what I come to. 
We just read Philippians 2, verse 13. A working worldview is this. Everyone has one. Everyone has a worldview of some sort. Young and old, you have a worldview. Young, young ones, your, your worldview is developing more and more. But it's a worldview that you have. And everything you see comes through that framework of a worldview. And if you're saying you're a Christian, we ought to have one thing as our, as our frame. And that's the gospel. The gospel. Okay? That we would see everything through the lens of the gospel. Okay, here's my object lesson for today. Here we go. All right? I can still, yeah. Now, life, listen. Life is really like a blizzard, isn't it? And I, I grew up in Minnesota. Yay, Minnesota. All right. And um, there's plenty of really nasty blizzards that you deal with in Minnesota. And you, you can find, you know, similar blizzards up in Lake Tahoe and the Sierras, obviously. And this is the, this is the, you and I are living in a blizzard of life. And this is the best thing to have, really, is to, you know, keep your vision square and straight so that you can keep seeing. No more pictures. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you need to maintain, where are my glasses now? They're in the goggles. <laughs> we need the glasses. Okay. There. I, I have been in a blizzard. And I've had my goggles on. And it really helps. It's better than anything, you know, because you're, you're, you're protected. And... My friend, if we don't have our gospel goggles on, sorry, it's kind of goofy, I, I realize, but we got to have a, our gospel eyes on, especially at this time in our country's life. We're, we're, we do well at kind of taking care of ourselves, but you know, you and I, are to be involved in the process of America. Yeah? And so we, we can't get discouraged and say, oh, I'm not even going to vote. I've had people say that to me. I'm not going to vote. That does not help. And why in the world do we have 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2 as our memory verse? Pray for these people. Let's close with this here. Um, I'm going to have to pick it up next week with the remainder of this outline, and then we'll we'll carry on with the the next week's message. But the remainder of this outline, where it says following in his steps, that's very important. We pick it up next week there, and you you take on what 
our memory verses saying here. First of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in in full comfort? No. In godliness and in dignity. So, I haven't given you all the message, uh, message titles here, but next week we want to take on more specifically about the mind of Christ in this, in this jungle that we are in called the political world of America. Don't get discouraged. Let's put on Christ and uh, keep the gospel goggles on. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for our time. You are good. You are faithful. You are a great king, a sovereign king. No one like you at all, Lord. We praise you and lift you up. Help us today in our lives to honor you in how we talk and how we behave with others. And may we give glory to your great name. And Lord, uh, the gospel of Jesus has been given to us not just as a ticket to heaven but Lord in all areas of our lives we need to remember that we look through and apply what the gospel is about help us to learn more about that as we study and as we grow in you Lord we thank you again we praise you help us this day in all that we do in Jesus name Amen. Again.